thank you to our worship team for leading us in singing this morning and then also for that video introducing our message this morning, 1 Corinthians 13. We're not going to be actually looking at that text necessarily this morning, but it's a great uh, bridge into what we are going to be dealing with and talking about. And uh, we've been looking at a series over these last several weeks on We Are Family and uh, allowing ourselves to think about, as Michael alluded to earlier, that we are family. And much like maybe your particular physical biological family, um, you may look at the Whitneyville family and say it's a little kind of messed up too. And, um, but that's okay because God has uniquely created each one of us and allowed us to be part of this family. So uh, several, four weeks ago, we began to look at the series. We looked at the fact that we are being filled with the spirits. And then we looked at the fact that we are unconditionally loving God and others. And then we looked at the fact that we are glorifying God in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And then last week, looking at the fact that we are being led by qualified leaders. And this morning, we are faithfully fulfilling the one another's. Probably, if you were to look at any one of these particular topics and messages, you would say over the last seven years, almost seven years, we have really hammered in on several of those key topics and thoughts as we've looked at what God's Word has for us and as we've looked at different sections of Scripture, whether New Testament or Old Testament. And so this morning, we're looking at this aspect of the fact that we are family. We are faithfully fulfilling the one another's. And probably one of the most difficult things for us to do is to faithfully fulfill these one another's. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. We'll have a kind of a lengthier introduction, and then we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as we conclude. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us. Help us to view others, think of others, count others, as we'll see this morning, more significant than ourselves. Father, it's very easy for us to think of ourselves in a significant manner. Father, this morning, I pray that you will help us by your Holy Spirit's work in our heart and our life as we were reminded by the video of 1 Corinthians 13 that without love for one another, we are actually nothing. We can have all of the things in this world has to offer, but if we don't love, we don't care for, we don't fulfill the one another's, we are not displaying Christ in our body or in this world. So Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us, convict us where we need to be convicted, where we need to be shown areas that we can improve, and then help us to implement a plan to actually improve in that particular area. So Father, this morning I pray that you would encourage us through your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Some of you will remember, maybe many of you will remember, in 1996, Hillary Clinton wrote a book, It Takes a Village. The premise of her book was different than actually the original intent of that statement from an African proverb. 
The African proverb actually says it takes a village, meaning that it takes a lot of people speaking into the life of a child to help bring that child to what they should be. If you think about term in the, the raising of children in terms of an African village, you will understand that. Everybody's all together. Everybody's working. Everybody's implementing and uh, speaking truth and hopefully speaking truth, speaking into the life of that particular person. Of course, Hillary intended that for a different purpose and a different thought and a different idea in her book. But as we think about that thought and that idea of it takes a village, it takes a group, it takes a, a community, if you will, to be able to engage in the life of one another. We are all, as we have found out through this COVID-19 time, we actually are all social beings. Some are more social than others. Some are more antsy to get back and to see other people than other people are. There are some people who would be thrilled to hold themselves up in their house and to never see another person. And they thrive on that. There are others that after an hour of being left alone without anybody else around, become frustrated and irritated and antsy and angsty and want to get out and see people. And so as we have come through this time, as we've come through this situation, we've probably discovered that, yes, even the most introverted, seclusive type of people actually, at the end of the day, do need to get out. And they do need to be with other people. We need one another. We need a group of people, a community of believers, if you will, in our life. As Michael mentioned earlier, as we go through this time and we went through this time, the challenges of not being able to meet together as a church, the first week or two, it's kind of like not exciting from a good way, but like exciting as in, ooh, this is new and, and we've never done this before. And, and, and so we'll try something this way to after about two or three weeks to say, well, where is everybody? We miss people. We want to be with the believers. We want to be with the body. We want to we want to be able to fellowship and to be able to have the relationships again. When we think about this idea of community within a church, we think about it in terms of how we function as a body within our own little community, if you will. The word community means simply a group of people who live in the same area, a group of people who have the same interests, religion, race, etc. A community is just a commonality. It's in essence, it's we share something in common. So there could be multiple communities. In fact, if you look online, there are actually hundreds of thousands of different kinds of communities, ranging from uh, hobbies or special interests or backgrounds or, or beliefs or whatever. You can, you can make community groups be really whatever you want them to be because it's just really based around a commonality. But in scripture, we're given a word called, in the Greek, koinonia. I remember when I was a kid growing up in our church, we used to have, actually we called them koinonia. They were um, once a quarter, we would get together in people's homes, and there was probably two or three families that met in these homes, and uh, we would have dinner. We'd call them koinonias. And so I grew up not knowing that that was even a Greek word, not knowing what it meant. All it meant to me was we ate. And so koinonia was, we got together. And if you, and if you did koinonia right, if, if, if you had a really good week, you got to go with your friend's family. That was really a good time. Uh, so if the Matras and the Lawsons were in our koinonia fellowship, I must have done something right and God was good and all my friends were there and it was great. 
Now, if the Matras and the Lawsons were not there, part of our koinonia, and some reason our family was stuck with some older people who had no children, and I was the only kid there, that was not as much fun. But to me, koinonia was food. It was getting together uh, on, a, on a Sunday night after church. So starting at 8 o'clock, uh, you would then go to somebody's house and have dinner, and we'd stay till 10, 30, or 11, and then get up and go to school the next day. That was koinonia. And then I began to study Greek. I began to study for the ministry. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a real word. That's actually a real like, concept. They actually got this from someplace. The Bible. Amazing. And so the word koinonia in scripture means fellowship. It means to share in. It means to fellowship with. It means to participate together. Jerry Bridges, in his book entitled True Community, speaking of community within the church, he talks about the four aspects of community, the four aspects of a church functioning body that it should have. And he describes these four things as this. First of all, relationship. He says it's not the fact that we are united in common goals or purposes that makes us a community. Rather, it is the fact that we share a common life in Christ. What is our commonality today? I mean, you could look around and you could say, oh, I don't know, our commonality may be location, geographical. It may be age. It may be color of skin. It may be a lot of different things. It may be, well, I think our commonality is lions or tigers, um, the, the Detroit teams. Well, I know I've bucked that system for seven years, and I'll go out the door bucking the, the Detroit system. It's the Chicago Cubs, Chicago Bears. Chicago Bulls, right? I know I've been a, a very strong minority in this process. But you look and say, well, we're not a collection of Tigers fans in this room. We're not a collection of people older than 60 in this room. We're not a collection of, of whatever other, other concepts we may put together to say, what's our commonality? As Bridges would argue in his book, True Community, he would say, as a church, as believers, it is a fact that we share a common life in Christ. Every one of us is distinctly different. I mean, if you're not aware of that, then, then you've probably been holed up too long. Every one of us is distinctly different. What is the one common denominator we all share in this room, assuming we have placed our faith and trust in Christ? The one common denominator is Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not united on whether or not it's the Tigers or the Cubs. We're not united on a lot of different things. But we better be united around a relationship that says it's the fact that we share a common life in Christ, one of the most remarkable things to me is when we traveled overseas and meeting international people, instantaneously, you have this weird connection. I would say weird because it happens so naturally and so quickly that when you share a common denominator of a relationship with Christ, there is this instant unification that occurs because of the unifying aspect of Jesus Christ. So relationship is one. Partnership is another. He says, whereas relationship describes believers as a community, partnership describes them as a community in action. It is the active partnership in the promotion of the gospel and the building up of believers. In other words, he's arguing for the fact that, okay, we are in a relationship. Our common denominator is Jesus Christ. That's our common unifying bond, our common life in Christ. We have a relationship, but that's not the extent of it. In other words... 
Bridges is arguing in his book, talking about how the body functions, that we aren't just simply here to say, oh, I've got, a co- I've got some commonalities with people and the fact that we all have a relationship with Christ. So, you know, we click a box on Facebook and we're part of this little group of, of Christ followers and that's all we're doing. Bridges actually takes it further to say there's supposed to be partnership, which is really where Philippians goes at the end of chapter one, preceding the passage that we're going to look at in just a minute, where Paul is talking about the end of Philippians chapter one. He says, be linked arm in arm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, you're on a mission together. You're, you're partnering together. Paul uses that concept and that wording multiple times throughout the New Testament partnering together. So we're, we're working together for a common cause, which is the promotion of the gospel, the building up of believers. Then Bridges articulates the other two aspects of community, which is communion, means communicating intimately or sharing with one another on a close personal and spiritual level. The key element is that the subject matter, he says, is focused on God as well as on his word and his works. What is our, what is our communion? What is our intimate sharing? It's not about statistics from Lions games or Bears games. It's not about statistics or other things that we could share intimate details about or, or how to build remote controlled cars. The intimate sharing of details and intimacy in our life is on Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ is doing in my life. Let me, let me communicate to you how God is actively working through his Holy Spirit in my life. The conversations then, the, the, the communication then, the, 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 the intimate communicating that we should have or sharing that we should have on that level then should be centered around God's word. So then the question must be for us to answer is this, how much of our conversations actually revolve around God and his word? How much are we challenging one another? How much are we iron sharpening iron? How much are we actually engaging one another in the word of God? And then finally, he talks about sharing. The fellowship of sharing possessions within the body is a tangible recognition that we are in a community relationship with one another. And then when one another, one member of the community suffers, we all suffer. Sharing our possessions with others should be a natural consequence of our realization that biblical fellowship denotes both a relationship and a partnership. So Bridges is arguing in his book, True Community, about the life of the church. Relationship, we have a commonality, Jesus Christ, our common life in Christ. We have a partnership. In other words, we're striving together for a particular cause, a particular goal. That goal is the promotion of the gospel, the building up of believers. Why does Whitneyville Bible Church exist? I mean, literally, there are, I don't know, a thousand other churches you could go to this morning. Why do we exist? Why, why do we need to have a building? Why do we need to give money? Why do, we, why do we go through all the hassle of making church work? Why do we exist? We are here for the promotion of the gospel, the building up of believers, a relationship, a common life in Christ, a partnership, a common goal, communion, engaging one another around God and his word, and then sharing as we have opportunity in helping one another and coming alongside of one another. As Tim prayed earlier, those that are suffering, those that are going through difficulties, those that are going through trials, we come alongside and we share. Maybe it's emotional help, it's spiritual help, it's physical help, it's whatever we have, we share with one another. 
And those are things that we'll look at in just a second as we look at the scripture behind this to say, what does the Bible have to say about relationship, partnership, communion, and sharing? Because all of this is going to set a groundwork for the concept of we are faithfully fulfilling the one another's. Why do I have an obligation to you and why do you have an obligation to me? I'm not a big Andy Stanley fan on any level, actually. But he did write a book entitled Creating Community, and he says this, we are a culture-craving relationship. In the midst of our crowded existence, many of us are living lonely lives. We live and work in a sea of humanity, but we end up missing out on the benefits of regular meaning relationships. This is Steve Green back in the 80s, right? People need the Lord. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people, empty faces. All the sea of humanity is going about its daily life, living its daily life, and miserably, hopelessly, desperately lonely. My guess is that this morning, sitting in these chairs, are people that fit that description. You say, oh, not at Whitneyville Bible Church. I'm sure we're all just delighted and thrilled and emotionally satisfied and geared and ready to go. I doubt it. I've been in ministry long enough to realize there are probably people sitting in this room this morning who are lonely, sad, depressed, discouraged. Why is that? Maybe that's because they have not engaged as they should. Maybe because the community has not engaged them as they should, the community being Whitneyville Bible Church in our specific context. So what does the Bible say about these particular things in the area of fellowship or koinonia? Well, building relationships and, and building fellowship together, we see Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John 1.3, that which we have seen and heard proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. The relationships, the fellowships that we enjoy together is what we should strive for. That we have life being shared together in fellowship. It's interesting to note that sometimes the community that we avoid the most is the community that we should be running to the most. Yeah. The community of believers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that is the fault of the person and sometimes that is the fault of the community. Mm -hmm. I'm not so naive to think that every person who is lonely or sad or depressed or discouraged is that way because they've chosen to not engage with the community. That's not always true. The church has failed miserably over the years to actually implement the truths of scripture in engaging in fellowship and relationship with other people. But on the same token, there are people who have refused to engage into the life of the community of the church so that they have that relationship. I remember when we were in Denver as an associate pastor, we would have people visit the church and, and we would get their little card and we would go visit them. And they would say, well, I haven't met anybody at your church. We've been coming now for a while. So you begin to ask questions. You begin to kind of analyze and say, well, Okay, well, tell me about your experience of our church. Well, we come in after the songs are already started, and we leave um, before the, the last prayer. Well, if you expect somehow during the course of that hour and a half where we were conducting the service that we didn't engage with you, I'm very sorry, but you didn't give us an opportunity to engage with you. On the same side, though, there are people that have come and participated and been involved and, and, and been engaged in multiple different aspects of our church and yet have never been connected with. Yeah. 
That's the fault of the body. So we have to analyze, we have to evaluate to say, is it, am I lonely, am I discouraged, am I not engaged with the community of Christ followers because I'm doing something, or as a whole because we're not doing something? It's the obligation of both parties. In regard to partnership, Paul makes mention in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness, Philippians 1.5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 4.15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the, beginning of the, in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So not only were they engaged in being connected in a relationship, a fellowship of Christ's followers, Paul's saying, the church of Macedonia, you guys were partnering together with me in the gospel. You were striving for a common goal, which is the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the building up of believers. In the area of communion, engaging in intimate relationships, James reminds us this, therefore, confess your sins to one another. That's the worst verse in the Bible. Maybe not the worst, but it's one of them. <laughs> Confess your sins to one another. Who would like to go first? <laughs> right? I often wonder, James, wow, you, like just lay, you laid that right out there. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You know the problem? One of the problems with our prayer life as a church as a whole is we have to be generic because the prayer requests are generic. And they're generic because we don't actually trust one another. And we don't actually trust one another because we've not built relationships with one another and partnered with one another and had communion with one another. And we may not have done that at this church because at the last church we got burned really bad because we did it. It's both and. It's not just all one-sided. It's not just, well, even a Bible church is perfect. And if you can't engage with us, then there's something wrong with you. That is not the truth on any level. The fact of the matter is both parties bear responsibility in the fulfillment of the one another process. And so we engage in intimate relationships for help and accountability and growth. To be able to say, you know what, uh, pray for us. We're not getting along in our marriage right now and we're not doing well. Now, if I don't say anything else, does that make you nervous? Because you go, is that just Dave giving an illustration or is that Dave actually being honest? And now nobody really knows and so now we're nervous. Is he? Is he... Is he being transparent or is he giving that as an example? Hurry up and move on because we're nervous, right? This is why we don't fulfill James 5.16. Because in the mere giving of an example, we don't even know how to be vulnerable enough. We're not perfect in our marriage, just FYI, in case you needed to know that. So we confess our sins to one another. Pray for me. I'm really struggling with whatever. I'm not saying that we need to have people file up here, take the mic, and have it as confession time. But we need to have relationships that are such within the body of Christ where we know, you know what, I can go to that person and I can talk to that person and I, I know that person will pray for me. I know that person will care for me. I know that person will keep this to themselves, that they will check on me, that they will help me, that they will encourage me through this process. If there's nobody in this church that you have an opportunity to do that with, then something needs to fundamentally change within this church. See, we can have all the lights and the sounds and the bells and the whistles, but if we're not actually doing the basic life of church, then we might as well just shut the doors and go somewhere else. 
There's too many Christians who are willing to just simply go through the motions and not actually be vulnerable, not actually be engaged in this communion process. And then sharing, to share one's possessions or to share help, to share hope with the implication of some kind of joint participation and mutual interest. Acts 2.44, and all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. We're not advocating that. We're not, we're not moving into a cult of a compound and you know, we're going to have, a, we're not talking about that, but sharing with one another and helping with one another. Romans 15, 27, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also be of service to them in material blessings. First Corinthians nine twenty three. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Second Corinthians 1, 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. In Ephesians 4, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So as we think about these four components of, of the body of Christ, as Bridges articulates in his book, as, as Paul articulates on a number of places in Scripture, and we think about these four aspects of fellowship, partnership, communion, and sharing. Fellowship, we have one identity. We, we connect on the aspect that we have shared mutual life in Christ. We have partnership. We're striving together to accomplish the work of promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Communion is we're sharing intimately so that we have deep relationships that are spiritually God-driven relationships to where we have iron sharpening iron going on and then we have sharing, which is to be able to come alongside and say, oh, right now you need some emotional help or some spiritual guidance or you need some physical help or whatever you may need. And so the body is functioning this way. That's, that's what should be happening. That's what should be taking place. So if we were to just simply stop right there as an evaluation and say, well, how's Whitneyville Bible Church doing? We would say, well, um, to be a member of this church, you do have to identify with Jesus Christ. So that's a good thing. Um, we generally uh, believe that, uh, that we want to welcome people into our fellowship, that people are coming here because of their identification with Christ. So, so that's, that's, a, that's a positive. In the area of partnership, are we, are we actually striving for the advancement of the cause of Christ? Well, we can look on that back wall and we can see our missionaries and, and we can think about ways that we're trying to advance the gospel. We're trying to edify the believers and, and we have Bible studies and we have messages and we have all these things. So yeah, we feel like we're, we're partnering well for the gospel communion. Hmm. Are we sharing intimately so that we can be iron sharpening iron? I don't know. Maybe that's happening. Maybe it's not. Are we sharing with one another? Do we, do we offer up help? Do we offer up encouragement? I think there's aspects of that that are happening and occurring. I think even some of our social media outlets have been good sources of that and, and good opportunities for that. So as a church, as a body, as a, as a group of people, we have to say, okay, well, if these are kind of the four major components of the body of Christ, the fellowship, the partnership, the communion, and sharing, how are we doing? How am I doing? How am I doing personally? We, we, can't, just, we can't just walk in, sit down, and walk out and say, well, collectively, Whitneyville. At some point, we've got to take this personally. And we've got to say, well, how, how is Dave Dietz doing in identifying with Jesus Christ? How, how is Dave Dietz doing in partnering for the advancement of the cause of the gospel? 
How is Dave Dietz doing in the communion aspect, the, the sharing intimately, the, to be able to, to have accountability, to be able to be iron sharpening iron, to be able to, to, to have a relationship that goes deeper than, hey, how are you? Fine, thank you. And how is Dave Dietz doing in sharing? So every one of us has to evaluate that. We just can't simply sit there and say, well, I, you know, I think Whitneyville as a whole is doing fine. I'm part of Whitneyville, so I'm fine. We have to sit there and say, how am I doing? How are each one of us doing in these four areas? How are we doing in showing our contribution to the community? Our world is wrestling with this idea. As we watch things unfold in Seattle and quote unquote, the new little community that is being developed that isn't actually functioning. (laughs) Novel, right? It's not actually functioning. We're finding out that we don't really know what community looks like. And we're finding out that maybe making some really stupid statements like defunding the police are really stupid. And that we really do need order in our lives to help us. Mm-hmm. That we actually aren't where we think we are. And so our world is grappling with this whole big picture The last place we should really be grappling with this is within the body of Christ. The body of Christ has had 2,000 years to be working on this, and yet the fact of the matter is the body of Christ is failing miserably when it comes to being the actual body of Christ as it should be. Are we making improvements? I hope so, and I trust that we are, but we have ways to go. Until Christ comes back, we haven't arrived, and so we need to constantly be thinking and evaluating and processing this. So what are the components of community and church. This is all pushing us to Philippians chapter two. What are the components of community in a church? How, how do we accomplish fellowship, partnership, communion, and sharing? How, how do we accomplish this? And I apologize for this slide. I threw it together hastily. Actually, it copied and pasted, and it didn't copy and paste very well. <laughs> this is not Julia's fault. It's to try to match what I gave you in your outline. It didn't do it very well. What are the components? These are the one another's. I don't even know that these are exhaustive. There may be a few that we missed. Do you realize that the one another's are not suggestions? They're actually commands. They are actually commands by God given to believers to fulfill. And it's not just like, hey, if you could get three out of 15 of these, or if you could get 10 out of 15 of these, you'd be great. I remember I applied for, or I was looking at possibly applying for grad school a few years ago, and the, as I was reading, it was a, a well-known uh, seminary, as I was reading, they talked about the fundamentals of the faith, and they, they listed like, I don't know, eight or nine core fundamentals of the faith. They said, in order to be a student in our school, you only have to agree to like four out of the eight. I'm like, wow, you know, pick and choose. These are apparently the fundamentals of the faith, but they're not all that fundamental because you only have to choose half of them that you agree to. The one and others are not like that. These are all given to us as commands. Let's look at them. Love one another. I mean, we could start right there and say, yeah, we're not going to do very well. I mean, that video, right? 1 Corinthians 13, who likes to read that passage of Scripture? Because we're reminded, oh my word, that is all the things that love does. I, I, I'm struggling with the first one that it does. Not only am I supposed to love one another, I'm supposed to be united with one another. And then I'm supposed to welcome one another. 
and I'm supposed to instruct one another, and I'm supposed to care for one another, and I'm not supposed to judge one another, and I'm not supposed to speak evil to one another, and I'm supposed to bear with one another, and I'm supposed to encourage one another, and exhort one another, and be kind to one another, and edify one another, and forgive one another, and don't devour one another, and don't provoke one another, and don't envy one another, and don't lie to one another, and serve one another, and don't deprive one another. All of them I have to do. Those are all commands. And we were stuck back on the first phrase of 1 Corinthians 13 on the first one of loving one another. And then we sit there and say, well, man, I can't can't do this. This is really hard. But you know what? If I'm going to do it, let me find the person that is probably the easiest to do this to, and I'll just focus on doing it with them. And then I'm confronted with scripture that says all believers are to be doing this with every believer. And I think, are you kidding me? There are some people that are really, really difficult. I mean, I would never be difficult, but those people are really, really difficult. And so we come and we look at the components of community within the church and we say, oh yeah, that's great. We should have fellowship and we should have partnership and we should have communion and we should be sharing. And that's, you know, kumbaya makes us warm and fuzzy. Oh, wouldn't that be nice if we were all doing that? Yes, it would be. And then we come down to what actually is part of that process. And we're like, whoa, what? we got to do all these things. These are all commands given by God to believers to fulfill to every believer. That means the person, think about the person. I know you think about it. Think about the person that irritates the fire out of you that's a Christian. And don't tell me there isn't somebody that you can think of that doesn't irritate you. And then say, I got to fulfill those in that person's life. How, how, how is Whitneyville Bible Church going to live up to that? It goes back to the very first message we preached. We are being filled with the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, as we are daily allowing him to fill us, we are daily allowing him to work in us, as we are daily allowing him to, to, to help us become the believer that he wants us to become, that means daily we are making improvements with loving, being united with, welcoming, instructing, so on. No one in this room has arrived to that. No one. No one has arrived. But this is what we should be striving for. So you know how we handle this? Here's how we handle this. Because I don't know if, if, if many people have actually pulled out a whole list and looked at all the one another's, but we know that they're there and we know that we can't fulfill them and we know that it's gonna be really difficult. And so what happens? We pull ourselves back. We say, I can't fulfill that. I can fulfill that with maybe, maybe this person and maybe that person. So I tell you what, hey, why don't you come over and you come over and this will be our group. And um, we're gonna make ourselves feel really good about the fact that we don't do this perfectly, but we do it a whole lot better with each other than we do with other people out there. So let's tell them we're all part of this big group, but we really know we're just part of our own little group. And so we're gonna try to kind of fulfill these, but it's not really that hard because we like each other and we have a lot of commonalities like you know, being Tigers fans and Lions fans. And we have a lot of those commonalities, so things are a little bit easier. We're not going to be arguing about the bears and the cubs. We're going to be arguing about, you know, other things. But it's going to be easier for us to do this. And so the church body begins to separate. And it begins to break apart, if you will, and say, well, let's find people that are just like us, think just like us, act just like us, and try our best, hope against hope, to fulfill this. That's not what Christ has told us. 
He's told us that we are to function together as a body. And so what happens is we have these hindrances to our community and our church. Things like cliques, and these are just simply human categorizations. Cliques, the same old, same old. Inbreeding, us four and no more. Selfishness, I want it my way. Elitism, I'm too good to need others. Seclusion, I don't need the drama. I feel like that sometimes. Ignorance, the Bible does not tell us to do it this way. Fear, no church, good church does this. Every church I've been to, we just kind of go, we sit down, the pastor preaches, we get up and leave. Why can't we just do that here? Control, how do we keep it from going bad? Self-sufficiency, I can do it on my own. Apathy, I don't care about this. I put these out of order, sorry, Julia. Anything that happens up there is not on Julia. Unless she doesn't push the button, then I guess that's on her. But (laughs) These are all hindrances to our community. We have these different thoughts and ideas. I want it my way. I'll come as long as I get what I want. I'll come as long as I can hang out with just the people I want to hang out with. You know, I'm too good to need other people. I, I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't, need, I don't need Bible study. I don't need to be engaged in those areas because, you know, those people, they just don't know as much as I do. I don't need them. I don't need to be part of that. Seclusion, I don't like the drama. I don't like other people. I'm an introvert. I'll just stay home. Self-sufficiency, I can do it on my own. Why can't I just stay home and watch this on television or Facebook or whatever? Those are all hindrances to community and church as people think about and as we go through because the reality is we're confronted with these one another's. We're confronted with the aspect of I have to fulfill these one another's in in everyone's life. So I can't just sit here and say, well, you know, Jonathan, I I could probably get a, a bunch of these with you. We've got some commonalities and so you know what, how about Jonathan, you just be in my group, and um, Myron, I, you know, I like you, and you be in my group, and I don't know, uh, Liz, you don't, you don't say a lot of too many mean things, so you guys be in my group, and uh, Tristan left, so I can say that, because he's not going to balk, right? So you guys be in my group, oh, he's back there, he's... The marriage written. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you guys can be in my group, and we'll just work on this, because we don't need all those other people. Unfortunately, that's how churches break apart. That's how churches become these isolated little groups and entities. So you say, well, okay, how does this fit then within the body? How does the body get to the point that we fulfill these one another's? And here is where our text is, Philippians 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... The ESV says if, that really should be translated since. That's the the meaning behind the word. Since there is, all those ifs, if you're reading the ESV. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. This harkens back to the end of Philippians chapter 1. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Again, this is just playing out Philippians chapter 1, 25 and following. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Look each of you, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And of course, he goes into the famous 
text from verses five to 11. So how do we fulfill the one another's? This message is intended to be broad, big picture on the one another's, not on any individual one. Over the last seven years, I think twice, I've gone through an actual individual series on particular one another's. But this is the general process of how do we implement the one another's? How do we fulfill the one another's? If these are commands given to us, every one of us in this room has those commands given to them. No one is exempt. We have those commands given to us as believers. We have to fulfill them with each other. That means we actually have to engage with one another in order to fulfill those commands. You cannot fulfill the one another commands of scripture sitting at home watching church on TV. You just can't. So time and place when maybe that needs to happen for you because physically you're unable to be part of the body, but the reality is the body is fulfilled when these one another's are being accomplished. So two things. First of all, Paul says, I count others more significant than myself. I count others more significant than myself. The word count is an interesting Greek word. And again, I know Greek does not help you much, doesn't help you pay your bills at all. It doesn't just, it just adds to knowledge. But this is an interesting Greek word. It's hegeomia. It means to be a leader. The, the word is rooted in the concept of leadership. In fact, there are texts of scripture that use both the Greek word and then also the Old Testament equivalent that's going to talk about leading, being a leader. So then we say, well, that's weird. How? Paul says, I, I lead others more significant than myself. What is he, how, why does Paul use this particular word to lead? Because used metaphorically, it means to lead out before the mind. In other words, to view, to regard, to esteem, to count, to reckon. So I'm leading out in my mind. I'm, I'm leading out with this thought of what? I am going to proactively deem others. I'm going to proactively reckon Others. I'm going to proactively view others as what? More significant than myself. So the question is, do we do that? Do we proactively do that? Some of us may do that by default with people that we know or people that we like or the people that we have in common with. But what about that person that's really difficult to love? What about that person that's really difficult to engage in a relationship with? What about that person who is who has been difficult to us over the years? Am I going to lead out in my mind, to proactively lead out in my mind, to esteem them as more valuable than me? Paul says there he uses the word significant, which means value, position, or worth. In other words, I proactively consider and act like, function like, Everyone else has more value and worth than I do. Now, some people, that naturally happens. Well, they can do this, or they can do that, or, or they're this person, or, oh, do you know who they are? We assign them value and worth. We're going through this in Sunday school. The value of God, inherently held within himself, given to others. It's not about what I think about them and their value. It's who God has thought about them and created them, the value he has ascribed to them. So Paul here says, I count others to be more significant than myself. 
I value others more than I value myself. I see others as holding a higher position than I see myself holding. I see others as having more worth than I see myself having. This isn't about some low self-esteem. This is simply about saying, I want to view other people as Christ would view them. So I look at my fellow church family. Can I look around this room, those that are here, those that aren't here, and say, you know what, as best as possible, God allowing me to do this, everyone that I know of, I count intentionally leading out, I count them to be more significant than myself. Now, I didn't say there are some that you probably do that too, but do you do that with everyone? I have to ask myself the same question. Do I do that with everyone? The answer is no, I don't. I should. This is the right thing to do. It's the biblical mandate to do. But in my humanity, in my sinfulness, in my selfishness, there may be people that I say, you know what? I just honestly, at the end of the day, I really don't think of you as significant. At least not as significant as I think of myself. So I'm not gonna value you. I'm not going to have this relationship with you. I'm not going to engage with you. I'm not going to fulfill the one another's with you because it's not worth my time, not worth my energy. And again, maybe I'm the only one that says that. But the, probably the truth of the matter is, there are people that you would say, you know what, even as a believer, as another believer, I don't think of them. I don't proactively think of them as more significant than me. Take the person that you would have the highest value for, the, the person that you would think would be the greatest person in the world that you could ever meet, that you could ever get to know, that you could ever spend time with apart from Jesus Christ. Think about that person. I mean, I guess the, the illustration of Christ would work in this situation as well, but on a human level, think about that person that you would say, wow, I got to be with this person. And then ask yourself, do I view everyone else in that same manner? Do I think about everyone else as significant, just like that person, more significant than myself? So Paul says, first of all, I count others more significant than myself. What's the other thing that he says we do? Verse four, let each of you look not, to his, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are naturally selfish human beings. Even the most generous of us are selfish. That's part of our nature. It's part of our sinful nature. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, the other part of the other side of this is Paul is not talking about some kind of self-deprecation process. This is not Eeyore, right? You know, Eeyore, thanks for noticing me. I'm worthless. I'm just, here I am. Thanks for, Paul's not telling us to be a bunch of Eeyores. He's telling us, you, you look after yourself. You take after yourself. You have the proper view of yourself in light of who God thinks of you. But not just taking care of yourself, make sure that you look to the interests of others. The Greek word here is the word skopeo, S-K-O-P-E-O, skopeo, which is where we get the English word scope. So read it with that context. Scope out the interests of others, right? I'm not a hunter, I've made that clear, but some of you like to hunt. Ed, I love you. Ed, 
Schwenke is the only man who has ever taken me hunting. And three years ago on the rabbit and squirrel hunt, somewhere, we walked a lot of places and didn't see anything. And I thought to myself, I love Ed. I don't understand this at all on any level. But the idea is hunters go out and they scope things out, right? They kind of check it out. They're, they're, they're looking intently for, oh, this would be a good place. Oh, the, the, the deer happened to come here. The buck is going to come by here. And so we're scoping it out. It, it's an intentional examination and looking after something. That's the Greek word that Paul is using. Look, scopeo, scope it out. In other words, he's saying be proactive to examine the interests of other people. To exert effort in continually acquiring information regarding some matter with the implication of concern as to how to respond appropriately. In other words, what Paul is telling us is this. First of all, I count everyone as more significant than myself. And not just counting them as more significant than myself, I actually scope out. This is how I'm putting this into action. It's one thing to say, oh, you know what? Uh, You're valuable. I count you more valuable than myself. That's one thing to say. But in verse 4, Paul says, you back that up with your words or your actions, rather. How do we back that statement up with our actions? Now we actually go spend some time with that person. Now we actually go scope out the interests, the likes, the dislikes, the the things that make that person tick. In other words, what Paul is arguing for is the life of the community of the body of Christ cannot function unless it is doing life together. This cannot be something that that we arbitrarily put out into a technological format. This is something that we spend time doing, that we engage time doing, that we do the messiness of life, of doing life together to find out this person has these interests and this person has these likes and this person really appreciates it when this happens and this helps this person to grow spiritually. And so I'm going to do these things to help that person. Paul says we scope it out and then we actually fulfill it. So we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're not full of ourselves, but humbly, we count others more significant than ourselves, but we don't just say those things. We don't just say things like, oh, you, you are more valuable than I am. Paul says, you put that into action. How does that look in action? I'm actually going to spend time with you. I'm going to find out about you. I'm going I'm to invest time and energy to know who you are. The problem why we don't ever get beyond the, hey, how are you, fine, thank you conversations that pervade church is because we never actually fulfill verse four. And the reason why we never actually fulfill verse four is we don't actually believe verse three. That's the hard, cold truth of the life of church. And I'm not saying Whitneyville is some loser group of people that can't figure this out. We're struggling like anybody else is struggling. But what should be setting Whitneyville Bible Church apart? When, pe- when people walk into our assembly, they say, whoa, something's different here. We've been to this church and we've been to that church and we've been to all these churches. Something's different here. What is different here? We're a church that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We're a church that's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We're, we're a church that is unconditionally loving God and others. We're a church that is honoring and glorifying God in our words, our thoughts, and our actions. We're a church that is being led by qualified men. We're a church that is faithfully fulfilling the one in others. How are we faithfully fulfilling the one in others? Because I count you as more significant than myself, and I put that into action by spending time with you to scope out what you actually like and don't like and what helps you be a better believer for Jesus Christ. I'm not doing it so that people walk in and go, wow, Whitneyville Bible Church, let's try to review. That's the most amazing church out there in Caledonia. If you ever want a great church, go to Whitney. We're not doing it for Facebook reviews or Google reviews. We're doing it to honor and glorify God because this is actually what he told us to do. Amen. And so as a body of believers, we haven't arrived. Do we do a good job? I think on some levels we do. Do we have room to improve? Absolutely. How do we get there? The Holy Spirit's going to help us. Each one of us being broken to the point where we say, God, I just want to be honest. I don't really like that person that comes to our church. They irritate me. They annoy me. They frustrate me. God, I'm not really sure how you can love them as much as you love me, but you say you do, so I'm going to trust you. And so, God, would you please help me? because I need it, to think of them as more significant than myself, and not just to say that in words, but to put it into action. God, would you help me to build a relationship with that person so that I can scopeo, scope out their interests, their likes, their dislikes, what helps them. When we have a church filled with people like that, we will have a church that will be fighting for the community that God's word calls us to have. We'll have a church that says, you know what? This is where my family is, as Michael mentioned earlier. This, this, this is what we fight for. All of us have challenges in our family, our biological families. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why the statement says blood is thicker than water, mm -hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, no matter how goofy your family can get, you'll take care of the family. You'll invest in the family. You'll sacrifice for the family. The pandemic that is raging American Christianity is not COVID-19. It is arrogant selfishness that says, I really don't consider you more important than myself. I consider myself pretty valuable. And if I don't like what you're doing, I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to try to find that group of people. And when I don't like what they are doing, I'm going to go to another church. And the problem that we have in Grand Rapids is this. I can hop. It's the same problem we have in a lot of other places in America. I can hop from church to church to church to church to church. Why? God, that was there, and they didn't, I didn't like that. Then I was here, and I didn't like that. And I was here, and I don't. But a church family, a church body that says, we are fighting for this. And it's going to get nasty and it's gonna get muddy, and it's gonna get messy, and we're gonna find out that not everybody is actually perfect like they think they are on Sunday morning, and we're gonna engage in people's lives and work through the difficult times, will allow God to build within this community a strong fellowship that partners for the gospel with deep, intimate communion and sharing that is going on, that when the world walks in, they say, whoa, okay, we've seen a lot of stuff. This, this is family. This is the body. This is Christ being honored and glorified. We haven't arrived there yet. We've made progress. We've done things that are helpful. We have a long ways to go. 
question is, will you fight for a family? Will you fight for the body of Christ? I've said this often. If we lived in North Korea, we would figure things out a lot quicker, right? I wish, I wish God could take the American church, pick it up and drop it in North Korea because a lot of the things that we divide and, and have issue over, we would say, oh, those are non-essential. Here's what's essential. And we will fight for this family because our very existence is on the line. We mentioned this in Sunday school. If you're not aware, the political things that are going on, it's not all about these trivial social matters and, and other things that are going on. The world is coming to a point, and I think it's coming sooner than later, it's coming to a point where the entire forces of evil are gonna be turned against the church. And if you're not aware of that, you're blind to what's actually happening in our world today. That Satan is the prince in the power of the air. Satan is the one who is controlling the things by God's allowance through this world, and he is bringing everything to a head, and it will turn on a dime against the church in about two seconds. And it just did this last week when the law professor at some elite place said the church is the next target. And when the church doesn't have the community that it's supposed to have, when it receives the onslaught from this world, the church will disperse mm -hmm. and it will be no more. And American Christianity is coming to a day of reckoning where it will realize that not everyone who has said, I love God and I love Jesus and I'm a Christian is actually a committed believer of Jesus Christ. And the question is gonna be when the onslaught comes to Whitneyville Bible Church, will we disperse like everyone else? Or we will say, you know what? We've been doing this for years. We're fighting for family. We're fighting for community. We're fighting for the body. We're fighting for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's happening. I wouldn't have said it would happen this fast three months ago. I would have said, in fact, I've said in the last year or two, 10 years maybe. Now, a year, I'll be shocked if there is not a massive onslaught against the church, us, within the next year. Are we prepared? Or are we just going through the motions, doing our thing, biding our time? We are family. We are faithfully fulfilling the one another's. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Father, help us this morning to realize we live in difficult times and difficult days. You said we would do that, so we shouldn't be surprised. So Father, now more than ever, help us to engage in life together as you desire us to do. And Father, may you receive the honor and the glory for all that is said and all that is done. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.